Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 10. Okay, so we have made our way to 1 Corinthians 14. And in the scope of things, really the discussion that we are in right now started back in chapter 12. You might remember back in chapter 12, he introduces the subject um, about those who are speaking by the Spirit. Okay, speaking under inspiration is the way I would take that. Um, I think he's referring specifically to the gift of prophecy. He's going to end discussing the gift of prophecy. Okay, he, uh, he will end with structure in the assembly so that it is an edifying context that, you know, the gift of prophecy is given priority. And such things as are said, Jesus is accursed. Okay, don't, can't stand. Okay, uh, someone stands up and says that and everybody says, well, he was in the spirit, right? I mean, we can't challenge it. I mean, if this was the Holy Spirit and he's speaking under inspiration, how do we? Well, he's going to give them some guideposts as far as how to address such uh, situations. And <clears throat> during in the interim, in, uh, well, he begins chapter 12, emphasizing that every part of the body is essential. Okay, we're going to find out why he took this little detour in chapter 12. And of course, he makes an even more important detour in chapter 13 to discuss love. Okay, because again, you know, understanding the spiritual gifts and what they bring to the body is is vital, as we uh, will we'll find out here. But at the same time, if they're practiced without love, Okay, they're not edifying. They're not going to build up the church. Okay, without love, everything just gets torn down. All right, which is interesting because here we are. We're going to see that just because you have a spiritual gift, just because you're using that spiritual gift, doesn't mean you're being very spiritual about it. Okay, you can use a spiritual gift. Isn't it amazing to think that the spirit can operate in such a way that you... <laughs> are still being fleshy with that gift. 
I mean, you, you, you stop and ponder that. Most people think, well, you know, I mean, if this guy's in the flesh, certainly he couldn't get up and do what he does. No, you can get up and be very fleshy in the way that you are utilizing your gift. Okay? And you could make it look and be very ugly and very unedifying um, in, in its end result. So, 1 Corinthians 14, he is now resuming, he's returning to where he, he you know, wanted to go, okay, in the first place, after, you know, laying some foundational truths so that his teaching isn't taken by, if taken by itself, would, would end up with other problems, right? So he's presenting a balanced theology when it comes to uh, the, the gifts here. Um, Paul is balancing the reality that every gift has value, but they do not have the same value when it comes to the assembly. Okay? There are gifts that are to be given priority. All right? There are gifts that are to be given priority. He mentions that priority in at the end of chapter 12. First apostles, then prophets. What does he say then? Teachers. Um, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then all these other things. Okay, so the priority, one, two, three, is apostles, prophets, teachers. Are apostles with us today? No. Kind of. <laughs> okay, yes, they're still ministering to the church, right? They're still here. In that, you know, the inspired writings of them, and you can lump in prophets with them, are prophets with us today through the word of God, right? Luke, Luke was not an apostle, but he was a prophet. He wrote, he spoke from God, all right? So the apostles and prophets have, you know, ceased in the sense of that gift operating, functioning through people, uh, actively in the church today. So what does that leave us with? First, second, third. Teachers. Teachers. Okay. <laughs> and what are teachers doing? Teaching. Teaching the apostles and prophets. Right? So you see that these three gifts are to be given priority. That's going to be the message of 1 Corinthians 14. So these gifts were operating at that time. They did not have an apostle on the scene. And we're going to see that prophecy is to be given preeminence. <clears throat> well, um, just a few words here because this chapter is the most extensive teaching on the gift of tongues that we have. Um, tongues, we will see, served several purposes. So I'm being very particular about how I'm saying this. Tongues served several purposes in the New Testament, but it was designed with one purpose from God. Okay? So its impact, we see it um, in the fact that, number one, uh, we see that on the day of Pentecost that there was this spectacle of the gift of tongues that drew all these people's attention to the Christians, right? And then Peter is able to preach to all these individuals. Okay, is that the purpose of tongues? To draw a crowd? 
No, that is not the purpose of tongues. It served that purpose, okay? It had that impact, but that's not what it was designed to do, okay? So, <coughs> um, we could also talk about how it revealed the reception of the Spirit, okay? That was also a uh, purpose it served. Um, it revealed truth to the foreigners who understood what was being said to them, okay? So in that way, it kind of functioned like the gift of prophecy to those individuals. Um, it, uh, it became the common experience to demonstrate the unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, look at Acts chapter 11, verse 15. Who, who would like to read that for us? Acts 11, 15. Okay, that is in the context of a controversy that Peter found himself in after what? What happened in chapter 10? Yep, he has a vision that took him where? Those, yep, those unclean Gentiles, <laughs> right? He went to Cornelius's house. He ate with them, all right? He ate unclean food with a bunch of Gentiles. And they're like, what were you doing? And he says, hey, guess what? As I was speaking, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. How did he know that? Well, they started speaking in tongues just like we did at the beginning. Okay, so it served a purpose. Okay, we see various purposes that it served along its way, but it has only one purpose by design. It was to serve as a sign to the nation of Israel. Okay, a sign to the nation of Israel that judgment was on its way. All right. Um, we're going to get into that part of it because Paul's going to explicitly state the purpose in our next section in chapter 14. But just by way of laying the groundwork and get you, getting you thinking about this as we go through this, um, you know, we need to realize that. Uh, one thing I would point out, and this is perhaps one of the greatest purposes the gift of tongues served is that to this day, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And not only does it tell us the most about the gift of tongues, it also tells us the most about this. What was the early church doing? What did Paul tell them to do when they came together as a church? What is to be the priority? Okay. What is to be the priority? What is it? What purpose does this gathering serve? What are we going to be doing later? What purpose does that serve? What should it serve? Why do we gather together? Why do the Elks get together? Elks Club? Fellowship and good deeds. Okay. Right? Fellowship and good deeds? Well, and that's okay. what you say. <laughs> Come on, yeah, okay. Eat some food, maybe. Right? right? Do all those things. 
Why does, uh, you know, why, why does the, the country club, the golf country club get together? What are they united by? Golf. Okay, probably drinking beer too. <laughs> so you have all these groups and it's like, well, they get together for a reason, right? Why does the church get together? That all-important question is answered in this chapter. Okay. What is the purpose of the assembly? So the gift of tongues served a very big purpose as in providing the occasion for Paul to teach on the assembly so that the church could be instructed for two millennium. Yeah, millennia. Did I say that right? Millennia? Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, read these, get into these. Who wants to read verses 1 through 4 for us? Sure. All right, Chris. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not, of, not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people further upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Okay, thank you. So when we look at this, verse 1, has Paul said anything similar to this previously? Does it take us back in the book of 1 Corinthians anywhere? Take. How is the word prophecy used here? Prophecy? To, yeah. to speak under... Foretelling or foretelling? To speak under inspiration. In other words, because there's two interpretations of the word prophecy. In other words... I only have you're one. You're telling something's <laughs> going to happen in the future versus more or less you're a teacher-like. So... Explaining the word. Okay. So... Um, the prophets of old, the content of their message is typically described as being forthtelling or foretelling. Forthtelling was the, hey, you guys aren't keeping the law. You know, you need to do this and this and this. And he would rebuke the sins that are going on. And they were speaking under inspiration because they would say, thus says the Lord. So the, the connection between the two is that reality of speaking under inspiration. The content of the message could vary. We look at the New Testament. Some things are addressing, like 1 Corinthians, addressing a situation at the church. Paul's writing under inspiration. Okay. Sometimes they are prophetic. Sometimes it is foretelling the future. So we're not so much concerned about the content of their message right here. They could have been saying either one or both. Um, oftentimes those messages were mixed together. Uh, especially in the Old Testament, you've sinned. Guess what? Judgment's coming. The Assyrians are going to come and level this place. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't make that sharp distinction. Does that, does that answer your question? So it's sort of neuter that they can be both, huh? Yeah, it's both. It could be either or. Yeah. That's because right. Usually when you hear the word prophecies, <laughs> Most people think, hey, I'm telling some secret or something that's going to happen in the future. In the future, right. Foretelling. Yep, I think it's both. I think, yeah. So when I, I hear the gift of prophecy, the, the, my immediate thought is, this is a person who is speaking under inspiration. 
They could have introduced their message, whatever they said, with thus says the Lord. If I say thus says the Lord today, I better follow it with something I'm reading from the Bible. (laughs) Okay, so that's the position of teachers in. Um, We're not apostles and prophets today, but we can teach. Yep. Okay, so where this takes us back to is the end of chapter 12. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. But I show you a still more excellent way. He's picking up where he left off. Chapter 13 is a digression. Okay, it's a very important digression. The most important digression of the whole discussion. But it is a digression. So he's picking it up again. Yet uh, pursue love. Yet earnestly desire, uh, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. When we think back on chapter 12, why did he take that big hiatus into the illustration of the body? The metaphor, I should say, the metaphor of the body, the church being a body. Probably emphasizing you should use these gifts in a loving manner. Okay. Well, I would say it was more to point out that we need each other. Okay. We need need that some people are strong in some spiritual gifts and others are not. It is making them lesser important. Okay. What if he had jumped right into chapter 14? What, what What would be the message if that's where he started this conversation? You take prophecy in this conversation. Yeah, and everybody else, oh, they don't really matter. So that's why you sit there and say, well, what's chapter 12 about? (laughs) He is about to say, guess what? When you guys come together, you let those prophets talk. They're the most important people on that occasion. Well, man, you know, what about me? You know, I mean, that that becomes the the implication. If all we had was starting in verse one. Now, where, where Corinth had gotten it wrong, what were they giving number one? I think it wasn't the fact that they were choosing certain leaders above other leaders. Let's think in terms of giftedness. Like tongues. 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 tongues was impressive, right? I mean, just think about today. And I don't think what is practiced today is tongues. And yet, isn't that impressive? I mean, just imagine if you had the real thing in your midst. Okay, that would be impressive. That would be a show, right? Somebody spontaneously speaking up in a language that they had not learned. Um, So here he is, guess what? Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you, plural, may prophesy. What is the significance of the you being plural there? In Greek, you can have Hebrew too. Singular and plural yous. Our English you is, is kind of weak this way. You could have translated this uh, y'all. What's the significance there? Okay. So I think the uh, what he's uh, telling them, what he's exhorting them to do, is to seek out 
this gift. Not that, oh, man, if I could have a gift, if I could have one gift, I want to prophesy. <laughs> All right. This is not a personal desire. It's a corporate desire. Um, I believe that gifts are fixed at the time you become a believer and you either develop them or you fail to develop them. Okay. Um, they can diminish. There's evidence of that in, uh, in various passages as well. So that is uh, um, an important point here. He's talking to them as a group and he says, earnestly desire this. When you show up at church, what do you want to hear? What do you want to see? What do you want? What should you be expecting? We need those prophets to stand up. We need to earnestly desire that those prophets minister on the occasion of the assembly. Okay. Apostles, first apostles, then prophets, third teachers. Okay. Then all these other things. So <clears throat> he's giving priority to prophecy here. We want to hear from the Lord, right? We want to hear thus says the Lord when we come together. So verse two. All right, we're going to pick this apart. I sure hope we have enough time. We're going to supposed to get through 19 verses today. Um, but verse two is, is one of the, the key verses on the gift of tongues. Okay. What does verse two tell us about tongues? I'm going to write these down because we need to keep coming back to these. So what does verse two tell us about the gift of tongues? It's not a human language. You're wrong. <laughs> well, we will talk about that. Because that is actually that is explicitly stated in this chapter that it is. <laughs> okay. Let, let's start let's start really basic here. One who speaks. Alright. It is a speaking gift. This is what's coming out of their mouth. Okay? It's a speaking gift. Some have misinterpreted the gift of tongues as a gift of hearing. In other words, somebody stands up and they're speaking in English, but you have somebody out there who doesn't know the language, but they're hearing another language. This is a speaking gift. The miracles, yeah, miracles and speaking are the miracle and hearing. Exactly. The miracle's happening right here. Okay. That's where the miracle's happening, is, is in the voice. So, um, it's a speaking gift. Um, let's go ahead, and this is important, let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And this is where the misconception sneaks in. And, and I want to talk about this a little bit. First Corinthians chapter two, verse verses one through 13. I'm sorry. Acts, Acts chapter two, verses one through 13. Who would like to read that for us? Go ahead, Janet. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent <coughs> wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. 
They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. Okay. So, um, so here we are. One of the, where do you think in that passage they would pick up and say, oh, it, it, it's happening here in my ear. Verse 8. And how is it that we each hear them? Right. Exactly. Okay. Now, in the, the context where that is shown to be, why is it at in verse 13 that there were some that were saying, oh, they're full of sweet wine? Well, because they're not hearing. Yeah, they're a bunch of gibberish. It's like these people are drunk, right? So they weren't hearing them in their own language, all right? The, those were probably, you know, the, uh, the native people, you know, there in Israel who would have spoken Greek and Aramaic or Hebrew Aramaic, a Hebrew version of Aramaic. And uh, so, again, just evidence within the, own con uh, the context there. Another thing that is said is, oh, well, when we get to 1 Corinthians, that is a different gift than what we see on the day of Pentecost. And what we're going to find, is, find out is from, this, uh, from chapter 14 is that it is, it is exactly the same gift. There are no differences. It, what we see in Acts chapter 2 is what we see in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, Acts four, uh, two, four, 1 through 14. Um, did I say that backwards? Anyway, hopefully you know what I mean. Okay, so let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So, it's speaking, all right? Someone else said the second thing. I think it was Jan. He speaks to God, okay? How is it that he's speaking to God and not to men? Nobody else can understand Okay, but God understands everything, right? He created language. Where did he create it? The Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, right? He's the one who sent diversity into the world, all right? And he did so through languages. The uh, races, as we call them, are the outworking of him dividing their tongues, okay? That is how the races came about. But there's ultimately only one race, the human race. So he speaks to God, okay? It's to God. Again, well, well, we'll come back to that. Um, what else does it tell us about it? Mysteries of the Spirit. Okay. How does your translation read? Uh, it says, oh, uh, verse 2. Yeah. It says, in a tongue. Speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay. 
Okay, slightly different translation from the NASB. Um, so mine says, in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. So, you know, the idea is, you know, internally, right, he speaks mysteries. What are mysteries? Have we heard Paul talk about mysteries? Something revealed per previously. Previously, right? But once you say it, it's no longer a mystery, is it? Right. <laughs> okay. So this is a little bit, um, you know, misleading for English speakers. And by the way, the Greek word is mysterion. That is why they just transliterated it as mysteries. But if you take the English modern definition of mystery and you impose it on this word, you'll miss it. Because these are mysteries in the sense that they used to be concealed in God. They used to be in the mind of God, but now they've been revealed. Okay. They've been spoken. They were spoken at the first and then they were written down, and of course, here we are, right? We're just teaching the New Testament scriptures. So um, when we go back to uh, chapter 4, this is where we've heard this. This is what he speaks of. Um, oh, I'm lost. Let's see, I'm in the wrong book. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Let a man regard us in this manner. How should we be evaluated? Um, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required that stewards of stewards that one be found faithful. Okay. NASB actually says trustworthy, but it's literally faithful. So faithful to the revealed word of God, right? What he has said. So the gift of tongues, all right, in you know, should it be translated, would it have what impact? New, new revelation, new information. Yeah, it'd be just like the gift of prophecy. Yeah, it would be speaking for things that, you know, previously hadn't been said by God. Okay, revealed by God. So just keep that in mind. Um, so let's do this. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that's what the word mysteries implies there. Um, denotes, not implies, it denotes it. Um, okay, in contrast, let's move now to the gift of prophecy. What does the gift of prophecy do? Okay, so the first one he says is edification. What does edification mean? To build up. To build up. Enlighten you. Actually, a better way to think of it is building up. Yep, to make you stronger. Okay, it's to build up. Okay. What is the second word he uses? You said it. Encouragement. Okay, encouragement or exhortation. So I'm actually not going to put encouragement there. I think 
That's not. So there's a spectrum of meanings for that word. And encouragement can be one of them. It is translated that way in the New Testament. But the reason I wouldn't translate it that way here uh, is because of the next word. Okay. <laughs> yes, comfort and consolation. All right. So, this is the way I would understand these words in their relationship. Okay? This is the main word as we'll go, go on to see. That he's going to use this word repeatedly through this section in describing the purpose of the assembly. These two, okay, are aspects of this. That's the way I would understand these. When we think about exhortation and comfort or consolation, what's the difference between those two things? When you console someone, what are you doing? It is one like uh, kind of bringing them up and another is helping them when they're down. <clears throat> okay. Yes. Um, well, I mean, if someone, okay, helping them when they're down. So, yeah, what do you do when you console someone? Console someone. Comfort them. Okay, comfort them. Okay, help them along. What did you say? Expressing empathy. Expressing empathy. Heal. Heal. Okay. Yes. All those ideas are contained in consoling someone. Is where they're at. They're in a, a, a hard place. And the word of God, does it console us? Does it comfort us? Yeah, absolutely. This is a ministry of the word. This is a ministry of God. And the assembly is to be an occasion where comfort through the word of God is taking place. What about exhortation? Well, I think that the difference is console is a hug and exhortation is kind of a... <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is, this is you want to comfort them and this is you're too comfortable. Right? You're way too comfortable. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Exhortation is the idea of urging. Right? So, now, what's really interesting is the, it's very important that edification take one of these two forms. Do people ever get these wrong? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They start to comfort people who should be exhorted. And they start to exhort people who should be comforted. You can't get it wrong. And some people, and, and I probably uh, fall into this right here. I'm a little more exhortational. This is a little more challenging for me, right? My wife's internally just going, yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> so what our kids always say, if you want something, go to dad. If you're in trouble, go to mom. <laughs> so... Uh, this is, though, a well-rounded, or I'm sorry, edification building up of the church. The assembly is going to have both of these aspects. That's what's going to lead to edification. And yes, it does take discernment. 
to make sure you're applying the scriptures properly. Okay? You walk into some churches and it's like therapy. Right? It's like comfort, 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 consolation, consolation. Others you walk into and it's fire and brimstone. Right? You people aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. What's wrong with you? You know, that's, again, you know, it's to take both forms. And, of course, both are to be tempered with love. Right? With love. Okay. So, prophecy does this. Okay? How? Or I shouldn't say how. I mean, yeah, how? Why? Because God does it. Right? When you say, thus says the Lord, I mean, God's trying to work these two realities out. He's speaking through that prophet. And, you know, just imagine that. I mean, you talk about getting the message right, being a steward of the mysteries. I mean, just imagine if God showed up today and spoke to us and told us. I mean, we would know. It's like, well, okay, this, this is comfort. This is, what, this is what the situation calls for. Oh, wait, wait, we need to be urged on. We need some exhortation. We need to be straightened out here. You know, yes. Well, I think about God in the Old Testament. I, I just, <coughs> well, we're talking a little bit, uh, went to a funeral, we're talking a little bit after about how the Old Testament, God came up and God, uh, afterwards, you know, the Old Testament, God was talking about how, how bloody it was or something like that. And, and I think about God there. You know, it's kind of like watching our shows we do on TV. They saw this problem in, in an hour or half an hour, right? And I, I think of one of the main ones is when God sent the, Moses up into Joshua in the land of Canaan. But people forget God, God waited 300 years of trying to console them and comfort them to change them. Then the, then the hammer came down. And all we tend to see is when that hammer comes down from God. Right. Agreed. I mean... Not chapter after chapter, prophet after prophet after prophet. Right. Yeah. yeah, and then the hammer comes down and it stopped hurting. Right. And it's, it's that way in our own life, isn't it? <coughs> God says, you, get, you need to change, you need to change. And then because of using because of our sin, all of a sudden the sin and the hammer comes down and it's like, oh! Right. No, you're absolutely right. Some people love to emphasize that hammer. <laughs> right. And that only sees a hammer, not the, yep. the conference. So let's think about this. In the assembly, what was happening was, is prophecy was going by the wayside, and the assembly was being dominated by tongues. People were standing up and speaking a language no one understood. So is God still speaking? Through this person? Maybe. Well, he is if it's the genuine gift of tongues. At Corinth it was. So here he is. God is speaking. But only God understands it. So what about this? It goes away. The assembly was a very unedifying thing. Now isn't that a brilliant thing of the devil that plays to people's flesh when people just would rather be entertained and he, you know, he takes something that is good given by God and turns it into something that's entertaining, what happens? Well, what really should be happening goes by the wayside. Okay? It becomes about whatever entertains us. It doesn't 
uh, what gets next is that which is truly edifying. To the crowds that follow Jesus too. Right. Uh, they just looked at the miracles. Yes. Okay. I was sorry. I was trying to make the connection. You're absolutely right. Yep. A lot of people followed Jesus just because they saw signs. They ate of the loaves, you know, or whatever. Um, that is why. Uh, that's why they're called wonders, by the way, right? Because they do give you a sense of awe. And this is a miraculous sign gift. Kind of gives you a sense of awe to just see somebody spontaneously jump out into a foreign language. I mean, that's, wow. You know, let's go to church today. I want to go see the sideshow, right? And it really isn't about edification. So that's a brilliant, you know, this is, and just think about this. You cut off the gift of prophecy. Nobody's hearing the message anymore. Right? So does this ever get corrected? It's just a tailspin, isn't it? It's just going to crash. It's going to burn. Because you've cut off God's voice in, in, in the interim, in the little in-between. And here's something that is, again, very good. I mean, I, that is just so subtle. Well, hey, I couldn't do this unless the Spirit empowered me. Clearly, this is of God. No, you're making this a very unedifying context. Okay. So that is the dynamic that's going on at Corinth. And you could see why Paul spends so much time on this. Um, one who speaks in a tongue does what? If they understand what so, they're saying. And he doesn't, he'll go on to say. So this is the very interesting thing about the gift of tongues. You know, and in his spirit it says he speaks mysteries. Um, again, maybe that translation is debatable given on uh, what, what Chris, Chris's translation says. But what we do see is, okay, I was having a conversation with my wife. I could probably spend the rest of time on this. <laughs> if you ever stop and think about communicating, do you think about every word that comes out of your mouth? No. Yeah. But you generally have an idea of what you want to say, right? So... We don't know exactly how the gift of tongues operated. There was some sort of thought that was happening. That person wasn't just standing up and, you know, not thinking, you know, whatever. There was something going on. The spirit was revealing something in his mind. But what was coming out of his mouth? Okay, he didn't understand. So he was not understanding the very thing he was saying. Just like I can be having thoughts and know generally what I want to say, but the actual words that are coming out, right? I mean, isn't it amazing when you stop and think about communication and speaking to people and, and presenting like this or something? I, you know, it's like I'm not stopping and thinking about every single little word that's coming out of my mouth, but I am thinking about my topic, right? So that's, I mean, we don't really know. I mean, this gets a little heady. I mean, you know, you don't, we don't really know what was going on here. But on some level, he was understanding within himself what he was saying without knowing specifically what he was saying. Okay. Yes. So, in other words, he can validate 
the interpreter is interpreting right or the interpreter is interpreting wrong? Yeah, very possibly. I mean, at least generally. Because it's like, yet yeah. other places that manage, if you're speaking in tongues, there's supposed to be an interpreter there too. We'll get Otherwise, to that. Otherwise, shut up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we will get to that because that is exactly right. He will bring that reality up. All right. Any questions through verse 4? We're supposed to get through to verse 19, by the way, today. But <laughs> any questions or thoughts? Did I miss something? I... Who? Oh, Jeff. Okay. Did want to point out uh, they'll get off track on new revelation like it can't happen anymore because it can be new to you. <laughs> so it says in <clears throat> Colossians 4 3 at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery <clears throat> of Christ on account for which I am in prison that I may make it clear at which how I ought to speak. The mystery had already been declared, but not to that particular person. Yeah. So if God needs to reveal a new mystery, we can't say, well, it's not going to be new. It will be this. Right. Correct. But it could be new to a person. Agreed. And then it's still considered a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery to them. To them. Yeah. But it's that's not right. a change from this. Yep. Agreed. Yep. I would agree completely. Good observation. Uh, yes. I'll put in one of my plug for being Andrew's favorite person. Jake McGee said, with the misery of the Bible, we've done it. Like we think about, you know, it's what we're talking about here. So it was a mystery. We didn't understand it. And now it's bringing it out. It's not, it's not new to God. Or there is a new mysteries, like Jeff was pointing out. Mm -hmm. It's just, if it doesn't line up the scripture, then you know it's not from God. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You should be able to be like the Bereans, right? And go back and say, okay, this is something that, you know, is confirmable in scripture. Yep. Agreed. Unique time that we're in here, and he's going to address that. So there's a unique dynamic that has to happen in this context where new revelation is being given. Um, but at any rate, uh, let's go ahead and see how far we can get. <laughs> Who would like to read verses 5 and 6? Okay, so how is it, and, and we've been saying this, right? Uh, you know, how can he get up there and say, especially after chapter 12, there's a greater gift, right? Greater is one who prophesies, okay? So I'm just going to cut to the quick here. The reason is, is because on this occasion, this is what's happening. 
That gift is like the quintessential gift for the assembly. I mean, to hear from God directly, it's going to result in this. What is God's word? When we look at the Bible, what is it designed to do? It is designed to build up. Sometimes it will exhort you. Sometimes it will comfort you. But it is going to build you up. Okay? That is the purpose of the word. That is why God speaks to us. All right? And so uh, when you get the gift of prophecy, that is exactly what is happening there. And on that occasion, that is the greatest gift. That's what needs to be happening, is we need to hear the word of God. Now again, a teacher does that. I'm not saying thus says the Lord because God is speaking through me today, but because his word has been given and we're able to interpret it. Okay. Let's talk about a few of these words. When he says, uh, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? So these are all manifestations. He's, he's further developing this. Okay. He's further developing it. And uh, what, what's revelation? New information. Yeah. The mysteries. Previously unrevealed stuff. What is knowledge? Understanding. Okay. Understanding. Truth. Right? There's content. There's content in the Bible. <laughs> I'm sitting here teaching content today. I'm putting knowledge into your head. What does that knowledge do? It might comfort you. It might exhort you. It, I know it's going to edify you. All right? The knowledge that God imparts through his word is going to build you up. That is why it is important for us to know and for this to be the focus of what we're doing here this morning. Um, he gives another word. Uh, prophecy. Okay? So... I'm not going to do that. Prophecy and teaching goes with which and which. Yes. Yep. All right. So in the Old Testament, there were individuals called the sons of the prophets. Interesting designation. What is what was a the son? What, who were the sons of the prophets in society? What purpose did they serve? Yeah, this, well, it's easy to read past. Would be for exhortation and exhortation, right? The sons of the prophets, yes. Their yeah, what do they do? They're not called prophets. They're called sons of the prophets. Those who have received the revelation and now needed to teach it. Okay. Yes. So you had the prophets and they gave the new revelation and then you had those that followed their teachings and, and distributed to them and gave the people this. They weren't priests. I mean, they might be. Okay. But they're distinct from the priests. They're distinct from, you know, I'm trying to think of 
you know, uh, you, you could almost say that uh, these were eventually replaced, the sons of the prophets were eventually replaced by Ezra and uh, his, you know, uh, the rabbis that r arose in Israel uh, in that intertestamental period. But they were ultimately zeroed on this. They weren't inspired, but they took the inspired and they imparted it to others. They were sons of the prophets. Okay. Um, not literal sons. It was an order, kind of like the priesthood. Or so, you know. I guess that's why I never thought of that. So, <coughs> who who would be considered a son or a prophet in the Old Testament? Um, if if you did a, a search of the yeah, I'd have to do a search. I mean, there would be different instances where it refers to the sons of the prophet, or you know, you have uh, different statements like. Am I a prophet or a son of the uh, I've heard that prophet? I use it all the time because I have yeah. So, so that would be like Elijah would have followers like that, and the followers of his would be considered sons of the prophets. Yep. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Kind of like disciples of the prophets. Okay. Yep. Agreed. So it was more than just children of the prophets. Right. Exactly. They might have been. I mean, you might have a physical child who's like, hey, I'm going to say his son. I got, you know, I study this book, you know, all the time. I, Is that like sons in the way of? Because nobody can be a son of thunder, but they're the son in the way of thunder. Right. So they're in the way of the prophet. Exactly. Yep. They're in the way of the prophet. You know, you, you could go to the sons of the prophets, uh, Elijah. During the time of Elijah and Elisha, there's a lot of references to the sons of the prophets. I mean, I think there was this. Um, big following, you know, those two individuals. Um, or could it be just prophets in training? Well, I don't know if, how you train somebody to speak under inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> that gets a little scary. <laughs> just like going to seminary. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would be in the sense that they're studying their teachings, their writings, and then teaching them. Yep. Um, okay, so, all right, so we talked about that. Verses 7 through 9, who would like to read that? Yes, we'll do, hello, oh, man, yeah, we're running out of time. Who wants to read that? 7 through 9. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? And nine as well. Yes, nine. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Okay. So here he uses an illustration. We all get this. I mean, if I sat up here with a bugle, he'd be like, that is an indistinct sound. <laughs> right? I mean, you would all be like, you know, I don't know what that is. Right? That is what, well, and if I were to stand up here and say, start speaking to you in, you know, I don't know, Nepalese? Is that, a, is that language? Uh, if I start speaking to you, what do they speak in Nepal? You've been there, John. Nepalese. Nepalese, okay. Uh, so if I start speaking to you, in Kazakh, all right, you would all look at me like, what are you doing, right? This doesn't make any sense to me, 
um, is producing an indistinct sound. It, it, it's not able to be interpreted by the listener. Verse 9, so also you, so what else do we learn in verse 9 about the gift of tongues? When you speak in tongues, though, words. Yeah. Yeah. He says words. All right. This is very important. What is the gift of tongues? It is words. He says, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear. He's talking about somebody speaking in the gift of tongues. It's like, well, you know, they're uttering speech that isn't clear. It's talking about words, though. That's the, that's the word right there behind speech is logos. Okay? Don't miss that. He is, he's saying words right there. A person who is speaking in the gift of tongues was speaking words. All right? What does verse 10 and 11 tell us about this word, these words. All the languages have meaning. Okay. It's a language where? Somewhere in the world. Somewhere in the world. Thank you. <laughs> there are many, in literally languages, voices. There are many voices. All right. In the world. But see, these descriptions show us that this is a literal earthly language that was coming out of their mouth. Okay? This is not gibberish. And what's happening today, many people have done this, they've recorded it, right? And every language has meaning, it has order, it has structure. And you can't make any sense out of what's being recorded. Okay, you can't make any sense out of it. You should be able to make sense out of it because it is a language in the world. <laughs> and you can study any language in the world and it has rules, right? It has structure. It's rational. Okay, so that is the gift of tongues that is defined in Scripture both in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians 14. Um, just real quick, just so that we don't go back to verse nine again. Um, when it says, for you will be speaking into the, to the air, he says, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech words that, uh, that is clear, um, how will it be known what is spoken for? You will be speaking into the air. What does that phrase mean? For you will be speaking into the air. Not understood by your hearer. Okay. But yet you're speaking into the air, right? So when we when you speak in your head, do you intend other people to hear it and understand it? What about when you're speaking into the air? You're talking away, but yeah, you you the intent is is that you'll be able to understand me, right? Well, guess what? If you're speaking in tongues and you're speaking into the air. 
It's not accomplishing what you think it's accomplishing. <laughs> okay, so just kind of an interesting phrase. I remember being kind of baffled by that. For you will be speaking into the air. What is he talking about? Well, he said, well, I mean to communicate. Well, if I'm speaking in a tongue, then I'm not able to do what, you know, I'm trying to accomplish. Well, God can understand. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. Even if it was in your heart, you know, God can understand. But yes, absolutely. Okay. So um, we'll talk about barbarians next week. Um, who, anybody have any other questions here? We didn't get as far as we needed to, but yes. So the modern day... I think they've been deceived. I think they, they believe they're practicing something that isn't real. Yeah. Um, they've been told that what they're doing is, but when it's evaluated biblically, they find out, or we find out, it's not. So, do they think, you know, do I think they're sincere? You know, do I think that they intend to, like, deceive people? You know, I think they've just been deceived. You know, they've been misled into thinking that what they're doing is tongues and it's not what is articulated in Scripture. So what about the person that says, well, when I speak into the air, like Chris said, that's a language between me and God. God knows what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Well, Paul says that these are voices in the world. But they're words for God. Words for God? For God only. God understands. Well, I mean, because I think our, we have sister-in-law that just said that. Okay. That's what I'm saying. That's my language with God. Okay, you're talking to God. Yeah, and, and uh, what is it they say? Is my prayer language or something like that? Yeah. Um, so what I would say is it's still not lining up with what the, the what were the gifts for? They're for the body, right? Now we're talking about the occasion of the assembly, but this gifts are not given for you and God. This is not a me and God thing. Yeah, I mean Paul's yeah. criticism would apply to yeah. do that. Paul's answering that. Yep. Yeah, this isn't about you and God. And especially when you're in the assembly. Now you had people there that were making it about themselves, and he's like, no, you need to stop this. You know, I know you got this great gift, I know it's from God, but you're abusing it, and it's not about you when you're at the assembly.